stuff. Oh, you know we're getting really old. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. It's been a minute. I have been down and out for the last couple of weeks with COVID, which I got for the first time, and it has been terrible. Richard, you're the king of COVID. You've had it about 16 times. No. What am I doing doing wrong? How come I can't get over it? I don't know. You're like the biggest isolationist I know. Like you don't like to go out and meet people. You don't like to go out (laughs) and see people. Like, you know, like, did you, did you get it at the Travis Scott show? Maybe was that? No, that was, that was too long ago. I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened. It served me well. I've been safe for years, but this is, uh, this is only the second day I've been capable of human communication so far. So, so well, I'm glad to I, see you. Hope that I deliver. I see your brand new book all over the yes. place. Seller's yes. Journey, everybody. Yes. So it is coming out. Uh, when's it coming out? February 22nd. Um, but for those who download and listen to this immediately, it's actually on Amazon right now. But um, we're going to do a big launch February 22nd, The Seller's Journey. Thank you for bringing it up, Scott. I hope my display is not obnoxious behind me, but I'm sure you'll tell oh, me. It's, it a, it's a, a, a pleasing color to the eye, as, as I would say. There it looks you go. Good. It looks good. I got Thank my you. copy Thank yesterday. You. It's behind Ooh. me somewhere on my bookshelf. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're, uh, we're here today with the CEO and founder, co-founder, I should say, of Grow.ai, Alex McNaughton, coming all the way from New Zealand, I believe. That's where he is right now which means it's probably about four or five in the morning. So he's a trooper. What's up, Alex? Welcome to the show, man. Thanks, guys, for having me on. And it's not quite that early. It's 8 a.m. actually, so it's, oh, it's pretty not bad. civilized. Yeah. Oh, that's normal. Yeah, geez. That's you're, totally you're, normal. You're just as awake as uh, as Richard. Maybe. That's right. Although Maybe. one of our calls, Scott, was at about 3.30 in the morning when yeah. we were first getting to know each other. So um, that is one of the negatives of being in this part of so, the world. So let me, I just want to make sure I understand this. So people don't know that, you know, Alex, you, you've hired Scott on as a consultant, right? As I recall. Uh, he, he's one Not of really. our uh, Close. advisors. Advisor, advisors, right. So I just like the fact that this is how Scott operates is that someone wants his advice to be a customer, to pay him money or give him equity. And Scott makes them get up at 3.30 in the morning. And that is typical... <laughs> If, if if you know Scott Least, that is his genius. He will okay. make that happen, and I still can't figure out how he does this. So uh, well I don't done. know. I, I you know I think Alex is maybe used to it, considering where he is in the world. That he's he's got to make some sort of accommodation sometimes. So that, tell that everybody, is. tell everybody real quick uh, what Grow is all about, man. What you're working on? Uh, so Grow AI is a team management co-pilot for sales, and um, it is. We've, we've built it to solve an age-old problem, which is that management and coaching gaps are the biggest barriers to consistent sales team performance, and we're making it easier. Yes, 100%. That is the problem. And it has been that way for decades, as we said before we jumped on here. <laughs> yes. Uh, what what Where is the moment where you're like, this is the challenge that I'm going to solve and I'm going to solve, you know what I mean? Like, what, what was your epiphany? Um, a lot of reps. So I kind of accidentally built a sales and go-to-market focus consultancy uh, starting back in 2018 um, and worked across about 130 companies, uh, everything from pre-revenue through to corporate and everything in between. And then I also built a sales training and sales recruitment company here in NZ. 
And through the process of being around so many sales organizations and seeing this common challenge again and again and again, um, I just kind of got obsessed with it. And um, then when I met up with my two co-founders at the start of last year, it was just this beautiful moment in time where AI can start to do things that typically only people could do. And we set up to solve the problem. Got it. So, so walk us through a little bit about how, if you can, and I know, you know, we don't, we don't product pitch, but I've got questions related oh. to this. Um, what does it do? So it, it listens to a call and then it coaches a rep. Is it that simple? Is it more than that? So short answer is no. Um, think of Taylor, our AI as an extension of the sales manager. Okay. So Taylor has one-on-one -on -one conversations with the team members um, where a manager can't be there all the time. So imagine mm. you've got a team of 10. Taylor runs one-on-ones with every single team member and is also available on demand to prepare for a meeting or debrief from a call um, and just answer the questions that you typically go to your manager around. Um, we then analyze and draw insights from those conversations that Taylor is having with the team to surface both individual and team insights and highlight areas that that manager can then put in place the right intervention to bring up performance, uh, highlight a gap across the team. And then from an executive leadership perspective, it gives them visibility across the sales org. And one of the big challenges of like a CRO VP level is that you just don't have visibility at what's going on at an IC level if you've got 100, 200 sellers across the org. So, and then Scott, you can ask a question. So what this is really telling me is that it's going to show me how sucky my CRO is at actually providing feedback. Because even when Taylor AI gives my reps feedback, how do I as a CRO make sure the rep's doing the job? Therefore, and or the CRO still doesn't know how to actually have a conversation with that rep when it comes down to the human side of it, right? So does it call out the rep more or does it call out the CRO for their crappy leadership style? But the idea is it rises everyone. Um, and if we, you know, maybe if we step back a second and put ourselves in the position of your typical frontline sales manager, um, they were probably the best seller maybe six months before. And then someone said, hey, you're now leading the team. You've got 10 direct reports. They got a pat on the back. Here's the number. Go hit it. Agreed. And no one ever gave them any sales management training. Um, right. No one shows them how to coach. Right. Um, and you know, as a result, they typically revert back to what they're good at, which is dive into deals, sell. Um, and, you know, that unfortunately doesn't scale very well. And that's that's what the fundamental problem that we're, we're trying to solve is how do we get these, how do we get, how do we give frontline sales managers superpowers and then also make sure that their sellers are getting regular expert coaching that's relevant to them? Yeah. That part I love. I love the fact that a rep can get all this stuff. I, I, I'm wondering, it'll be an interesting, and this is where it should start, right? Is at the level you're at of like getting it to the reps, get them the coaching. It'll be interesting to see how it builds on top of that to get to the management level, the VP level while maintaining sort of the human, the humanity of it all. But I don't know, maybe, maybe yeah. everybody's okay being coached by a machine and I'm just an old man. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, right? So Taylor helps the manager as well because it surfaces things that they didn't know were going on across their team. So I'll give you like a, a, a real example that happened recently is Taylor surfaced across one of our customers that um, in one of their sales team, they had John, a sales rep in that team who was outperforming, 
but was running a slightly different process to everyone else. Their manager wasn't really aware of this because this manager had, I think it was nine direct reports. Um, and Taylor highlighted this and then made a suggestion to that manager, hey, why don't you get John this rep to show the rest of the team what he's doing? Like run a, run, run a lunch and learn. So then the manager then was like, okay, cool. That's interesting. I didn't know about that. Facilitates that lunch and learn. John shows the team. And then the following month, they had a record month. That I love. That's what I wanted to know. How does it help the manager and leaders get better? That's brilliant. So yeah. cool. Richard, you, you said something interesting that <clears throat> is uh, fundamentally flawed that I'm always gonna point out. Go for it. <laughs> well, you said, you know, maybe you're just old and you don't like, you don't like the idea of being coached by a machine, but that's actually false. We, we've been slowly being coached by machines without realizing it. And this is just a natural evolution of it. You think about, I don't know how long ago this was, but remember the first time you went through an automated phone tree when you called right. into some doctor's office or something right. like that? Right. That's right. the machine coaching you where to go. Right. Remember when you used to have to write directions on a piece of paper or use a map, yeah. Richard? Well, yeah. you've been coached by a machine via Waze or Google uh, you know, Maps or whatever, Apple Maps or whatever. Right. We're already, this is already happening in other areas of our life. Yes. So it's not that foreign of a concept or should not be that big of a leap to suddenly think, oh, wow, I'm going to get sales advice. Yeah. But you know machine. me, Scott, right? You know, do you think I'm going to take the advice of a machine? Well, first of all, you don't take Richard, the advice of, Richard, you'll barely take the advice of anybody. <laughs> right. But my point is, <laughs> my point is, right. all of us, have been coached by machines already in different areas of our life. So I don't right. think it's going to be that big of a leap, especially for people who are maybe newer into sales or into their careers or who are growing up this way already. And this is all yep. normalized, right? So yep. it begs the question for me of at what point does the middle manager disappear? Because I don't even need them necessarily if taylor the ai is coaching 47 of my reps simultaneously they're all getting attention i've got intelligence put in there and it's you know mining this wealth of data every single day of what works what doesn't work what do i want them to do and whatnot and it's reporting back to the cro or the vp of sales with those insights that they're not getting right now how long until we don't need a middle manager, sales manager type person who I think we all agree is often struggling to deliver coaching and value both to the reps and up. So where, where does Alex sit on that kind of fence, that, that dynamic that I'm talking about? So I think if we look short to medium term, it this gives middle managers serious leverage is is what it does in the short to medium term i think there is a potential future here where you reduce the number of frontline managers you need across an organization um and actually free up that headcount to be out there selling and doing a lot of the time what they're best at and what they like doing more um i think can it fully replace a layer of management i'd say maybe but 
where AI is less good right now is at the kind of random stuff that happens across managing a team. The stuff that's not systematic and programmatic and can fit in a nice, neat process. The random things that just happen with people management. I think that's where fundamentally you'll need some people um, is to deal with that. So what, yeah, is, for- what he's saying is when I need to leave early because someone's sick or the cat has to go to the vet, Scott, is, yeah. is Taylor going to let me go? Is Taylor AI going to let me go to the doctor? Right. Yeah. Well, the current um, the current state of AI isn't doesn't have the capacity yet to like have that nuanced conversation, right? But it's interesting what Alex said. He's like, well, short and near term, it's a it's a boon for the sales managers, which I agree. Hmm. But is is it a Trojan horse because it's like we get it in, we get in with this short near-term boost, but oh, watch out because in five years or 10 years, you might be gone because we don't need it. That middle, middle layer anymore because the AI has progressed to the point where it can have that conversation with Richard about his cat and understand the emotional element of it and understands Richard's personality and knows when to push, when to support, that type of thing. I mean, to me, that's the natural direction that we're headed. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree I, with you. I think, I think Scott's. I think you're going to be patient too for Neuralink from Elon, right, Scott? Because <laughs> so, you, you actually, Scott, for all things, Scott has this capacity to understand the human at a really unique and specialized level that that I've always admired, um, and. And you're right. Once we can get that level of, what's the word, satiency or whatever, that sentient, um, sentient, uh, that'll be an interesting point of view. But Alex, how far away for, are we from that? Do you think? In some aspects, we're already there. So Taylor's Ooh, already having Taylor's already having emotionally charged conversations and handling them better than. Can you give us an I've give us an example? Oh of, my god! Give us an example of of one of these kind of nuanced emotional type conversations yeah. that Taylor the AI is uh, is pulling off. So, imagine a very frustrated, stressed out rep who's actually hitting their number and doing really well, but just burnt out, angry at the world, angry at her boss, angry at the you know the systems that she's working with, et cetera, et cetera. And basically just I call that Tuesday. I call that Tuesday. (laughs) Well, exactly, right? Like maybe that's a lot of people's lived experiences all the time. Um, but um imagine that person having a rant with Taylor and Taylor navigating quite an emotionally charged conversation and handling it better than I've seen most humans do, which is somewhat creepy um but you know managing that conversation asking the right follow-up questions bringing the emotional level kind of down in the conversation throughout the conversation and then also with some um you know what's the word useful practical feedback um thoughts towards the end as well um and then surfacing those insights to the leader around hey this person's actually a retention risk and they're really good so you need to sort that out can you can it can it sense that can it sense that wow richard seems tense based on his 
email situation, how he's talking to customers, or does like anticipate you're talking about anticipation. Yeah. yeah. Or do anticipate. I need to go, Hey Taylor, I'm feeling stressed today. You got any advice? At, at this stage, it will pick and pick these sorts of things up in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, I think what you've described is, you know, pattern matching and, and um, mm -hmm. what's the word prediction is, is where, where this ultimately can go. Uh, but for now, it's it's reading cues in a conversation. How does that make you feel, Richard, that this is already happening? <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting because you know me in mental health. It actually makes me feel good. It actually makes me feel like this is the support that that, you know, I never got and you never got. And a lot of us never got that that's available to them. Um, so it, it it leans me in a little bit more that that that's available. Um, you know, I you know, my next hesitation is, oh, now it sends it up to my CRO or whatever. And, you know, then my concern is how does the CRO know to have that conversation with me as being a potential flight risk, which they still don't have, but I can see where one begets the next, right? The more this stuff comes up, the more someone learns. Like I've said this a lot about the AI is that, you know, you can go into AI and say, teach me how to negotiate with procurement and you read it and you learn it and you use it and then you do it. And then, you're starting to get better skilled at it. So that's the part I see that I really do like about this. Um, you know, I think well, I'm just, you know, afraid of the machines taking over. And that's totally fair. And yeah, <laughs> I think more people should talk about that and, or admit it and, and think about <clears throat> what that world is, is like, it is a different world. It's a different world in building a company right now. Right. Mm -hmm. How, can yeah. you talk a little bit about what it's like to build a company in particular, like the revenue growth, you know, sales, marketing, CS, all these things. How is it different right now than, you know, the times that you did it before? Mm. So I think, I think there's a few things. I think the constraints seem different with building this sort of company because it almost feels a lot of the time it feels like there aren't any on the technical front in terms of what we can do now i am blessed i've got two incredible technical co-founders one of whom's a published ml researcher and you know a master's in machine learning and machine intelligence from cambridge and then the other who's a data scientist and engineer so um kind of that's the the uh, context for when i say it doesn't feel like there's that many constraints in terms of what we can build um because they're you know they're just very very smart people but in terms of you know the other sides of the business i think business fundamentals are still important like you still have to you know you still you still need a uh you know a go-to-market plan and distribution and and all the things that were relevant with all types of companies and that have been been relevant for a long time um i think candidly we're fairly early in that journey so we've only been charging folks for the last two months so we're really figuring out some of these areas right now in terms of go to market in terms of what does customer success look like with 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 a platform like taylor um you know there um but yeah i think the short answer here is some things are different on the product front for sure but in terms of like the other sides of the business um a lot of that's a lot of that's quite common. I think actually probably the final thing is there's some really 
interesting ideas and feedback we've been getting around folks asking us, can I give, can I put my way of doing things into Taylor? Oh yeah. And we've had that conversation with another, mm-hmm. well, like we, we, you know, Scott, we've had that conversation. Yeah, we had that conversation. And that seems to be, mm-hmm. that's a common conversation we've had, we've mm-hmm. had with a lot of both. Imagine really Richard, imagine leaders. Richard, you program the seller's journey. And that, mm-hmm. Oh, I've and already talked about style it. Style and the yeah. methodology you teach, and that's what yeah. your license of Taylor AI, Scott. Enforces. Have you figured out? Do you know what he would do with that? Have you figured that out? Because I already have. Well, I'm not sure where you're headed. If you were going to take that, <laughs> put all the Scott Lee stuff, all the advice you've given, all the things, how would you leverage that monetarily? Because I have the answer. Well, give give me the answer then. The, the give me the answer is that everybody who wants to call and pick my brain for 20 bucks can talk to my AI me That's for right. 30 minutes. Yeah. Right. Like I That's won't a charge a time. Thing. That's right? a beautiful thing. Yeah. So, and you're not limited idea, by, you're not limited by time either. Right. Yeah. Because you can have a hundred thousand of those conversations happening at 12 or seven. Yeah. Right. So one more idea that I come up with that Scott will probably go and do better than faster than me. Well, somebody smarter than both of us will figure that out. I just got to figure out who will build it. I just got to figure out, I need Alex to tell me who, where I can find a good engineer on the cheap. (laughs) Um, Like we're already doing this in, in a company context where we're ingesting playbooks and you know, this is, this is how that all sells and this is who they sell Mm -hmm. to, et cetera, et cetera. So that Taylor is, not just broad sales expert, but relevant mm-hmm. in the context of that space. Yep. Um, and the, you know, one thing we are definitely keen to start experimenting with throughout the course of this year is then giving Taylor all kinds of context. You know, yep. like what we, what you guys are both talking about there, yeah. Yeah. Um, and figuring out what 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 does that look like in the context of an organization we we have mm-hmm. really well sorted i think how you just talked about it richard there that that's that's i think something separate yeah. i mean the easy something a little different yeah i mean for me or for scott it's it's the biggest way to look at it is that career advice that's the one i get the most i think scott does you know or, you know and then and then startup advice or founder advice you know so um anyway so yeah so because that's I've got it all written. There's 500 podcast episodes of us. There's countless LinkedIn and blog posts and books. And, you know, it's not that hard to, you know, theoretically do it. I just don't know how to do it. So I just need a smart person. So anybody listening who wants to partner with me, I'll give you 51% of all the revenue. (laughs) Seriously. I don't need to make decisions. You can have half more than half the revenue. So that's pretty good. That's a pretty good deal out there for somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So careful, you're going to end up with a full time job, Richard. No, that's why you give away 51%. (laughs) That doesn't mean you're not working full time for 49%. Uh, That's a pretty substantial equity stake. So, (laughs) 49 is a good chunk. uh, So, I want want to shift, Alex. And, and, you know, I know we talked a lot about what y'all do. And and I hope everybody understands this was not a paid product pitch. I think it's fascinating and it's a topic none of us are talking about. So it's massively relevant. Um, I want to understand, like, where did your entrepreneurial spirit come from? Like, what was little Alex mm. like? You know, what would mom and dad say? If um, I said, when did you know Alex was going to be a successful entrepreneur? What would they say? He was five and he... Oh, no, God, for a while, they probably would have said, oh, we're not sure about him. He's... he's 
he's you know me- messing up a bit here uh when mm-hmm. i was at early days at university i was studying finance and accounting and bloody hating it um and quite lost and then um but my dad um is an entrepreneur and he's he's had his own business for for decades and so i think he's probably in, you know probably he's definitely instilled some of that in me um but yeah i, I fell into sales at 19 and completely by accident uh applied for a, an internship at a tech startup and ended up being their first sales hire and that's where i fell in love with it um and then it was really yeah like oh, my, my early oh, entrepreneurial journey pause was right not there. deliberate Pause, sure. pause right there. What did you love about sales? Because I think this is so many people. I'm the opposite of of someone. You know, people fall into sales, right? And they fall in mm. love with it. What did you love about it? What was it that was like? Oh, this this feels good. Well, it was it was sort of love hate thing at first because you know my my first for context, like my very first experience of selling was his the phone numbers and email addresses of construction companies around New Zealand, <laughs> go call them. We want to sell them something. And that was, that was really it. And, you know, Scott, not, he got phone it, numbers and companies. Not fun. We had to find them on our own. I know. Yeah, that's spoiled, true. Right. Like spoiled. I was blessed. I was, so I was pretty blessed. Um, um, but you know, I found it really hard and I'm a natural introvert and putting myself out there like that, I found really uncomfortable um, but I sort of got addicted to it in maybe maybe a masochistic way of like, you know, taking taking a lot of the no's and then but figuring out how to how to do this and, and teach myself this skill. And then, you know, I got addicted to the success that, you know, the, the first org I worked at, we kind of did a crazy zero to zero to two mil run in the time I was there. And I built built a team and I uh, had I think it was 12 people reporting to me by the time I left. So, I, yeah, I really just got addicted to figuring out problems and like solving problems um, and just hyper learned from there. What do you mean by hyper learned? Um, I suppppose what I mean by like that it came, is like it came to you very fast like you just got good at it quick. Um, I don't know if I'd say it came to me really fast, but I like actively from a very young age would be out there reading trying to speak to anyone who's you know two three five steps ahead of me um and student of the game just just consciously yeah like consciously doing it i suppose not just on autopilot um and then you know back to your original question like entrepreneurial spirit like my very first business was an accident It, it literally happened because i had a few startups in my network who needed some help and i helped them and and i was doing on the side of a day job at the time and then realized about four months in that I was earning more money from this than I was my day job. Um, after I had, I think maybe four, four clients or five clients. And then I was like, Oh wow. Like New Zealand sucks at this. Let's see if I can help. New Zealand sucks at this. That's hilarious. Right. There is what I do. And I, I mean, I say it with love. I love New Zealand. I'm half New Zealander. It's a real, it's a real thing, right? That your part of the world is a little behind our part of the world in terms of adopting new technologies, new strategies, yeah. right? This is not just hyperbole. No, no, no. I've talked about this at length and, and like in New Zealand, even culturally um, sales is, 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 I think hard because um, New Zealand is a fairly understated culture. People don't like tooting their own horn. Um, and, you know, as a result, and, and in sales, like sales is not that, but like th- there's an element of it at times. 
And I think Kiwi culture really struggles with it. Um, but yeah, like in terms of adoption, I think it's one piece of technology a Kiwi company will have for about four or five that a US company will have in their sales org. Um, and, you know, sales training investment, et cetera, is like way down. And, you know, what I've noticed, and, you know, God, I've been across so many orgs in this part of the world is that most of them are just not even doing the basics that a US startup would be doing. Hmm. So exactly. that's lead gen for Scott and I to get down to New Zealand and yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, get out. <laughs> Surf we'll and sales, New Zealand. Totally. Yeah. We'll be there in 16 hours. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just clean up. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, what are the, you know, what are the fundamental pieces of advice that you try to give the humans, right? Like, you know, you know, I, I get the concept of how to have this conversation or, or, or those things, but what are the, what are the pieces if someone can't afford grow AI right now, right? Like that's totally fair. What advice do you try to give managers who've never had coaching or training or what advice mm -hmm. did you used to give um, to managers? Cause I want to make sure people walk out of here with like something they could actually use totally. tangible. Um. So I think there's so much amazing educational content out there for free. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were some incredible books that I read throughout my journey that I was recommended, you know, for when I was a seller, like the transparency sale was, you know, from a seller's context is one of my favorite books or the transparent sales leader, um, mm -hmm. you know, both by Todd Capone. And the reason actually I, I mentioned Todd is he was my very, very first podcast guest back in, I think, 2019, um, and he was like the first US sales sales guy who like gave this random Kiwi kid a chance when I was, I think, yeah, 25, 26, whatever it was. Um, so I think there's so much information out there. And I think, you know, ChatGBT and all these other tools make it even easier to access good information. Um, now that is a double-edged sword because there's so much. Um, but yeah, like be, be active about it, like follow folks like you on LinkedIn and listen to the podcasts and like be deliberate in terms of leveling yourself up. I always say this to like new sales managers or, you know, because folks ask me about advice, like, what do I do? I've just been promoted. I don't know what I'm doing. I say, well, if you're not getting the, if you're not getting the coaching internally in your org, like you're just going to have to create that yourself. You're going to have yeah, to take charge of your own development. Yeah. Um, I think that's really good advice. Mm-hmm. If you're not getting what you need where you're at, you've got to go get it somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, you have to. And like, I've, I've had both extremes. I had like amazing mentors early in my career. And then equally, I had, you know, not so amazing bosses. And I didn't stop learning in both those scenarios. You know, I was still learning, even, even if my manager wasn't giving me what I needed. Yeah. Well, how can we be helpful to you, man? What kind of questions do you have maybe for us that we can try to try to answer. Yeah, you guys are you guys have been already helpful massively offline. So I, you know, but firstly, a massive thank you to you both. Um, you know, I think one of the well, actually, here's a question. It's more of a fun question, but um, you know, our team's moving out to the US uh, later later this year, and we're trying to figure wow. out where to be. Are oh, you trying um, to figure out where to move? Yeah, like and, Austin, I, I would man. not come to. So you're you in a challenge. Austin. Well, here's the here's what everybody I think is 
San Francisco, you know, quote unquote, is the hub. It's the hub yeah. of the AI. All the AI companies are here. It's That's our default. Right. The, it's just expensive. Right. Right. And, and so, um, and Austin's got a great startup community. I think they're beyond this. Oh, maybe startups will do it. There's enough people around who have skills in various parts of sales and marketing and IT and tech and all those kind of things. Um, I don't know the AI infrastructure. I don't know the, you know, Scott's your guy. I, well, A, I'd love you to be here so I could go hang out with you, right? Um, <laughs> I don't get to hang out with Kiwis, but, um, you know, I would, I, I think San Francisco's obviously a default. Yeah. New York's a default, but, you know, towns like Nashville and Austin and other places, I think, are, are doing great. I mean, Scott, what do you think? Well, I, I think that San Francisco and New York are and will probably always be mm. the hubs of everything <clears throat> and the and the biggest and best place to go for startups if you want to be around lots of founders, lots of venture capital people, lots of people with that kind of mindset. But there's massive trade-offs because like Richard said, it is super expensive for one thing. Mm. You know, you, you can get lost in the sea of millions of people out there as well and can be a little hard to make a name for yourself, perhaps. Um, <clears throat> so default to me is San Francisco, New York. Mm. Right after that, I think it's difficult to argue that places like Austin or Boston, Massachusetts would kind of fall next in line in terms of places to go. Both of mm -hmm. them have great startup scenes, talent hubs <clears throat> and whatnot, a little bit less expensive. Mm -hmm. You know, after that, you, re you really, it depends what you're looking for yeah. personally and what you're trying to do. Like, are you going to have an in-office culture? So if you're trying to build a team of 250 people in an office, building AI, working on tech, you might not want to move to Boise, Idaho <clears throat> mm -hmm. or Fargo, North Dakota, right? Yeah. Um, if you have planned to have like a distributed kind of team all across the US or all across the world, and you're trying to optimize for, you know, cost of living, you know, runway. Small, yeah, it's like close distance mm -hmm. everywhere like short flights wherever you want to go so you don't have to do any cross-country flights and stuff like that um you want people working across all time zones then you have to think about those those kind of things yeah. but you know to me there's really like four major cities that make sense and that's san mm. francisco austin new york and boston i, I don't know how sure. anybody could argue with those four yeah and there's well, lots of other ones that you know to me would be kind of a tier below that yeah. stuff. Like I think you could do Seattle. I think you could do Atlanta also Chicago, maybe. Um, but you know, again, the, I, I agree with Scott. Those are sort of the places mm. you probably end up. And, it, and, it, and I agree with him that are you going to have an in office culture or, or a remote culture? Cause that, that opens the door dramatically in terms of where you decide to go, because then you can make mm. a lifestyle choice to some degree. But I, yeah, I, I got another. I'm not sure how much it matters. 
anymore. That's the interesting thing. Yeah, it, that's a good point. To be like, if you want to raise money, you better move to San Francisco. And everybody yeah. moved to San Francisco. It's not that way anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. damn near every, every like mid-major metropolitan area has a cluster of venture capital yeah. folks and universities. And, you know, a lot of people have left places like New York and California, right? Mm-hmm. A year yeah, or so totally. ago, everybody was like, Miami is the place to be. That's going to be the new like hub. All the startups are going to Miami, right? So you've got you've got people who've kind of made their money and made their mark mm-hmm. in California or New York or place, and now they've left and gone, you know, elsewhere. So access to these folks is just a lot easier now with normalized. I mean, you could raise money over Zoom. You don't have to fly. That's what I was going to say. You don't have I to fly to San. You're more open to it. San Francisco to go to Sand Hill Road. It's just you know, right. so right. There's a lot of there's a lot of questions I guess that you just ask. What do I want my company to to kind of be like, and what makes me and my co-founders like happy? Mm-hmm. What are we looking for? Yeah, right. I think I think there's a there's a point of like to the point of what makes you happy, and then talent. And I think the talent is now democratized and dispersed. Right. It mm-hmm. was harder to find that talent, you know. Uh, for Google and, you know, you know, you know, the cool thing about a, a, a Bay Area or, you know, an Austin or New York or Boston is that there are people who do want to leave the big companies and go take their shot and take their moonshot. And so there's value to having a little bit of close proximity, particularly at an early stage, you know, but, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to sort of look at like talent as a big driver. Like I think a big piece Came, people came to the Bay Area. A, that's you know Sand Hill Road, Silicon Valley. That's where it started. Has the legacy, but I also think that's where the talent was. You know, yeah. um, and just like everything else, that's now democratized. More, unless, like I said, you want to have a one hundred percent in office culture, and you're yeah. and you're planning to hire two hundred and fifty tech workers. You're gonna have a much harder time doing that in small town middle America. Yeah, totally than somewhere else right so good food for thought yeah yeah i appreciate you you uh getting up early and spending some time with us Mm -hmm. alex tell everybody real quick where they can get a hold of you and and learn more about uh grow and and tailor the ai and what you're up to sure so uh grow uh dot ai is g-r-w dot ai um and for folks who've listened to this and want to want to give it a go with their team um you know, either reach out to us on the website or reach out to me on LinkedIn, Alex McNaughton, uh, and happy to give give you a, a trial um, to experience it for yourself. Um, so yeah, and, and best place to find me probably is probably is either LinkedIn or or uh, um, yeah or or uh, Twitter, which I'm less active on, but you use a, a little bit. Cool. Sounds good. Do we even have to say LinkedIn anymore? Where should you find me? You know where to find yeah. me. Yeah. So, I feel like we have to. We've, you know, we've been, we've been, we've oh, been most coached people, by the machine that, to that tell you. talk to are familiar with it. Yes. There so, are people out there who don't use it, though. Right. They probably don't listen to us either. Or That's also true. That's also true. <laughs> Thanks so much, Alex. Thanks, Richard, Alex. Good to see you. We'll you see too, everybody bro. next time on the Surf and Sales podcast. Cheers, everybody. See, Thanks for having me on, guys. See you, everybody. <laughs>